Hi guys, my name is Peter. I will be reading the Bible this evening. The reading is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. My name is Matthew. Um, Mark introduced me before. Uh, he said that some of you uh, may not wish to speak to me. Uh, uh, I'd like to remind you that my surname is Meek, uh, which is humble and gentle. I, 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 I would like to feel that makes me approachable. Uh, so uh, please feel free uh, to come and speak to me. Uh, but if you don't want to do that, there is always the mission booklet. So. Uh, and Mark has helpfully pointed us to that. But we're not here to hear me especially. We're here to hear God speak to us through his word. Uh, so let's pray and ask for his help as we do that. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. You are our maker. You are our creator. You have given us minds to think, ears to hear, hearts and minds to meditate, and to understand and think through what we hear. And so this evening, as we come to your word, help us to understand very clearly your big plan for the world and how we can be involved in that. Help me to speak clearly and well as we should, as I should, and help each one of us to grasp what it is that you are doing with Jesus as the King. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, uh, an international student asked me, where is Jesus now? Now, the answer might be clear to many of you, um, but it's certainly not clear to everyone. Uh, James Cameron, who directed the movie Titanic, 
Uh, I won't tell you how that movie ends. Uh, he made a documentary called The Last Tomb of Jesus. And in it, he claims that the bones of Jesus are actually still in Israel. Uh, the Da Vinci Code claims that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene, who uh, escaped to France and gave birth to uh, a daughter, Sarah. Um, uh, maybe we should call her Sarah, because uh, it's French, right? Comment ça va, Sarah? Uh, anyhow, the point is, uh, the logic would be that Jesus' descendants are French. Uh, a German writer claims that Jesus was a Buddhist, uh, who went not to Germany, but to India, while the Book of Mormon claims that Jesus went to America after his resurrection. So what did happen to Jesus after he rose from the dead? Is he still alive? And if he is alive, where is he and what is he doing? Well, the Book of Acts answers these very questions for us. So if you come with me, it'll be on the screen, I think, um, but... If you've got Bibles or phones, uh, let me encourage you to open it up. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Luke, who, who wrote the book of Luke and, and also the author of Acts, starts with Jesus proving very clearly, convincingly to his followers that he is alive. So he's alive. Well, where is he? Let's keep exploring. Let me read the second half of verse 3. He, Jesus, appeared to them, the apostles, over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, very simply, is where God rules his people by his chosen world king, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. During his life on earth, Jesus showed that he is God's powerful world king. Things that our world can't control, like, like sickness or storms or, or death, Jesus fixed with the ease of just speaking. Be still. Be calm. Uh, I have trouble um, just raising my own body from the bed uh, each morning. And yet Jesus says, Talitha kum, and a little girl who is dead, literally dead, gets up. That's powerful. He is the powerful world king. Look with me at chapter 1, verses 4 to 6. On one occasion, while he, Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and, and asked him, Lord, uh, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? When Jesus died... It seemed like the hope of Jesus ruling the world as God's king had died too. And that's certainly true. We, we look at the uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus and th they're, they're despondent and disappointed. But Jesus' resurrection is like God's way of saying that nothing, not even death, can stop Jesus ruling the world. 
You put him to death, I will raise him to life and he will rule our world. So when will Jesus come to rule as king? Well, verse 7. He, Jesus, said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Jesus is saying here that only God knows when God's kingdom will finally come. But he is also saying that it's not simply a one-off event. It will involve times and dates. In other words, it will be a process. What kind of process? Well, the next verse explains it for us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, yes, I will be restoring my kingdom, but not in the way that you expect. He's saying, remember God's promise to bless the world through Abraham's descendants, Genesis 12? Well, that's about to begin right now, right here with you. In Jerusalem, my kingdom will come as you witness to me by preaching the gospel through the power of the Spirit. And it won't just be for the nation of Israel. It will be for the whole world, to the ends of the earth. And as the apostles tell of Jesus' death for the forgiveness of sins, as they proclaim that he has risen from the dead as the world king, the Holy Spirit pours out new life into the hearts of those who believe that message. And God's promised blessing to Abraham will flow from Jerusalem to mixed blood Jews in Samaria and then to the Gentiles at the ends of the earth, the whole world. So that's what the apostles are doing and that's what they're charged to do, witnessing to Jesus. But what's Jesus doing in all of this? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Jesus didn't rise to die again. Oh, no, no, no. Nor did he go to India or to the United States of America or Oklahoma for that matter. He went to heaven. It says it very clearly here. We've just seen it in his word. That's where he is. But what's he doing there? In Acts chapter 1 verse 9, Jesus fulfills the Daniel 7 prophecy of one like a son of man approaching the ancient of days. That's God and receiving on it, uh, power to rule over an everlasting kingdom, over all nations. Come with me to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we'll pick it up at verse uh, 20, uh, sorry, 32 and 33. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. 
So after Jesus goes up to heaven, he pours out his spirit. Very simply, he replaces his physical presence on earth with his spiritual presence. The other thing that Jesus does is sit at the right hand of God. If you rule uh, the United States, you, you rule from the White House. But if you rule the world, where do you rule from? The Kremlin? Beijing? The White House, Buckingham Palace? Parliament House, Canberra? Uh, I can see people... No, no, no. Uh, uh, I can rule out that option. That's... Uh, yeah, that's, that's not it. No, 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 no. If, if you rule the world, you rule from heaven. That's where you rule the world from, from the right hand of God. And Jesus is God's right-hand man. That makes him the ruler. He's God's ruler for Australians and Americans, for Chinese and Japanese, for Jews, for Arabs, for Buddhists, for Muslims, for everyone. If you are in this world, he is your ruler, he is my ruler. Let's keep reading uh, chapter 2, 34. For David did not ascend to heaven. How do we know that? Because his grave's in Jerusalem. That's where his bones are. And yet he, David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. In verse 34, quoting David in Psalm 110, it makes clear that God's right hand man, Jesus, is also the Lord God. Verse 35 is saying that if you're Jesus' enemies, then you will be crushed under Jesus' feet. Well, who were Jesus' enemies? Keep reading, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord, God, and Christ, Messiah, Son of God, world ruler. Peter here blames the Jews for crucifying Jesus, for putting him to death on a cross. It's, it's not that they actually nailed the hammers, sorry, nailed the, uh, hammered the nails into his hands. The, the Roman soldiers did that. But the Jews had said to Jesus, you are not our king. We have no king but Caesar. Killing Jesus is rejecting Jesus' right to rule your life. Anyone 2,000 years ago or even today who has said, I do not care about Jesus, I am living my life my way, has effectively killed Jesus. If Jesus is not king of your life, sadly... You are an enemy of Jesus. So what do you do if you're guilty of being his enemy, of rejecting Jesus as the king of your life? Well, come down with me to verse 38, chapter 2, Acts 2, 38. Peter replied, repent. Turn back to God, turn back to Christ and be baptised every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For what? For the forgiveness of your sins of rejecting him as your king. 
And what will you receive? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which imparts to you what he has died to give you. You can't bow down before Jesus if you're still worshipping yourself as king of your own life. Repenting means to stop ruling your own life and hand over control to Jesus. Accept Jesus' right to rule your life. And do you know the good news about that? Instead of being crushed under Jesus' feet, we know that Jesus has been crushed according to Isaiah 53 verse 10 as part of God's will to give his life for you. There is no better ruler in this world than Christ. He loves you. He's given his life for you. There's nothing. If he's already sacrificed his life, what else won't he give? You are forgiven. You've received the Holy Spirit. Essentially, the Spirit is like Jesus' seal of ownership. You now belong to me. And because of that, all that I have now belongs to you. Life, life to the full. It's Jesus' guarantee that you are now in his kingdom. Being under Jesus' as king is the best place that you can possibly be. And so, if Jesus is in heaven now and ruling the world, how is he ruling the world? Well, firstly, by his word. Come back with me to Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 3. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus rules by his word. As people hear the gospel message that Jesus is the risen king, they enter into his kingdom by trusting the word. The second way that Jesus rules our world from heaven is by his spirit. Look with me, come down to verse 5 in chapter 1. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. God's spirit works through God's word in Jesus' followers to give them the power to speak. It empowers them to speak of Christ. And it also works in the people listening to give them the power to believe the message. Because we're dead in our sins. We can't understand it ourselves. We need God's Spirit working through God's Word to raise us to life to accept that message. The third way that uh, Jesus rules from heaven is by his people. Come with me to verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you 
and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus wanted his followers to be witnesses to tell the whole world that Jesus is God's king, God's risen king. And it starts with the 12 apostles. But what happens when they die? Does the message just stop after 30, 40 years? No, 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 no. When these witnesses died, how would Jesus continue to rule the world as world king? Well, come with me to Acts chapter 2, and we'll pick it up, verse 40, and read through to 42. With many other words, he, Jesus, uh, Peter, warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. And to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Jesus works through the combination of his word, the spirit working through that word, and that's the word of the, of the apostles' testimony all together to rule people. Where do you find the word and the spirit and the apostles' testimony? The Bible. As the Bible is preached and taught, people come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's, that's how it is done. That's, God, that's how Christ rules the world. And so when will this worldwide witness to Jesus finish? Well, come with me to verse 11, chapter 1, uh, verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Someday, Jesus will return to bring in his kingdom completely. Mark was very kind and he read 2 Peter 3 for us at, um, just prior to the prayers and, and it tells us that God is delaying Jesus' return to give people time to repent, time to stop living as rival rulers to Jesus and to turn back to follow Jesus as the one true king of the world. In December uh, 2019, uh, mobile phone detection cameras came into operation in New South Wales. Uh, they use artificial intelligence, don't ask me to explain that, but that's what they use, uh, to work out what illegal use uh, is uh, while people are driving. And normally the fine for um, using your phone while you drive uh, would be between $350 to $500. Uh, and five demerit points. Uh, and, and don't forget that kind of doubles on the holiday weekends. But God kindly had given a three-month period of grace when offenders would just get a warning. So December 2019, then January, February, you're still okay. But from the 1st of March 2020, Anyone who used a phone or still uses a phone while driving faced or faces the full penalty of the law.
Likewise, when Jesus returns, God's amnesty, his period of grace towards those who reject Jesus as king, as king will run out and they will face the full force of God's righteous judgment. Don't say you haven't been warned. God is kind to warn us. And so if you are not yet a Christian, can I plead with you, please, please ask Jesus to forgive you from rejecting him as the king of your life before time runs out. People need to accept Jesus as king before he returns and he will return to judge the world. If God is slow to bring his final judgment, we must be quick to repent. If God is slow to bring his final judgment, we must be quick to tell others about Jesus. So how can we, how can you and I, be part of Jesus' worldwide plan? Well, the first way is by becoming a Christian. You can't exactly be the light of Jesus to the nations if you're still in the dark about him yourself. Please go out and tell people about Jesus. Uh, uh, I'd like to believe in him myself, but, but, but I don't. But, but it uh, might be a good thing. Become a Christian. You've got to be convicted of it yourself. That's the first step. The second way is by telling others about Jesus. If you're a Christian, pray. Pray for God to give you opportunities to do that. At home, at the shops, at school, at uni, at work, on the train or bus, the doctors, the dentists. You get the picture wherever you are, at the pet shop. When people ask you what you did on the weekend, don't just say, I, I, I went to the footy. Or don't just say, I went fishing. You can say, well, uh, actually, I, I was at church and I heard some guy up the front saying that Jesus was king and he said that we need to turn back to Jesus as king before he returns to judge the world. I think that's a pretty accurate description of what happened here tonight. You can faithfully pass that message on to people who ask you what you did at the weekend. And if you're not confident about doing that, and I still find sharing Jesus a scary task, then pray for God's help. Ask, ask Mark or Rod or one of the leaders here to, to help train you in that. They would love to hear you come and say, please train me to get better at telling people about Jesus. God doesn't leave us alone. Jesus is ruling the world. He's given us his spirit, which empowers us to do that. He's promised to be with us to the end of the age. Friends, I know that many of you love Jesus. And if you do, it will come out of your mouth sooner or later. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. And if you have a heart for Jesus, you'll be speaking of him. The third way is to help make God's word go all over the world. And 
please be thankful that our church is already doing that. As we partner with the Reeves uh, in Albania, with Jasmine Ng and, and, and Anna's parents, uh, the Yawans in Thailand, with Nate and Jenny in Mozambique, the Beddoes with the Vocational Bible College, the Adamsons, the Snellings, Samar and the Meeks in student ministry. You're already in partnership with helping the gospel go out. Thank God for that. During May Mission Month, as has been mentioned, our church will focus uh, in particular on our partnership with Jordan and Rachel with Quizworks and the House Church of Bangladesh. So how can we, how can you and I be involved in that? I, th I think a helpful first step is working out where each one of us is in relation to mission. And, and one way, not the only way, but one way to think about it is, is like a spectrum. I've tried to pick the, word, uh, the, um, the letter I, uh, and, and it begins with ignorance to interest to involvement, full involvement. Um, so let me ex explain that. So, so ignorance, if, if we don't know much about mission, uh, then... Um, Listen to this talk again, I'm assuming it's recorded. Um, read books on mission, read missionary bio biographies, uh, or sign up to get um, newsletters from our mission partners, or log on to Jordan and Rachel's um, Facebook page. They've, they've got a uh, news feed that comes out, pray for this, pray for that. That's how you move from being ignorant to being informed. <laughs> and, and then once you've been informed, once we're aware, we, we can show our interest, that's the interest part, a little bit more. For example, by, by praying for them, the missionaries, by praying for mission, by praying for God to work out his purposes each day. As I wake up, Lord, may your will be done. Please keep working out your purposes in this world. Uh, the, uh, an, another thing we could do is write to our missionaries to encourage them. In God's kindness, I am a link missionary with this church. And I am so encouraged when people write and say, I'm praying for you, or I've prayed for you. How encouraging. Ignorance, interest, involvement. So the goal is to become more fully involved, letting God's mission shape our life shape our decisions, shape our time, shape our money. Essentially, to let God's word be the air that we breathe, the thoughts that we think, the words that we speak each day. And, and we can do that by, by giving to mission, uh, by going on mission ourselves, or by helping others to go. I, I think the question for each of us is, is no, mission a normal part of my daily life, what I live and breathe each day, my, my, you know, the thoughts that are informing me, what I'm doing, when I'm sitting next to someone on the bus, mission, when I'm going shopping, speaking to the checkout lady, mission, is, or is it just another activity that I spend extra effort and time on, or something that the specialists do but not me? We can all be part. God, in his kindness, has brought many of the nations here to Australia. Not all, so we still need to go overseas. 
but he's brought many of the nations here through tourism, work, refugees, immigration, and um, my ministry with international students. During COVID, Australia's door to international students was shut. It was hard. For two years, students were leaving and no students were coming. And when you're ministering to international students, that's hard. <laughs> but God in his kindness has reopened it. And stats are showing that numbers of international students will surpass the pre-COVID levels when Australia was the second largest receiver of international students in the world behind the United States. Isn't that a wonderful opportunity? And God hasn't brought the nations here to spice up our cuisine as if the humble meat pie just doesn't cut it, or the battered salve. And he hasn't brought them here to, to add colour to our gene pool through interracial marriages. He's brought them here for us to tell them about Jesus, that Jesus is the king of the world, of them and their country and the nations. And they're hungry to hear. At Wollongong, um, by, by God's grace, we've seen many international students come into God's kingdom, like Yuka from Japan. And through you, partnering me, we together have trained Yuka to lead an all-women's Japanese Bible study, equipping her to help reach the nations for Christ. Are you getting a feel for what that word partnership means? Partnership in global mission? You're involved in it. And, and I'm thankful to God that you're involved in it. And most of the international students are coming here, are coming from what is known as the 1040 window. From China, from India, from Japan, the Middle East, Africa. They're coming from basically the world's least resourced and largest unreached people groups. They're coming from places where they're, they're Muslims or, or Buddhists or Hindus or atheists or Taoists or Confucianists or animists. God is providing such a wonderful opportunity. In December 2019, a doctor, uh, Li Wenliang, from Wuhan uh, in China, posted that he had seen uh, seven cases that looked like the SARS virus. Uh, and shortly after he posted that, uh, he himself got this virus and died. Three weeks later, after he had warned people about this virus, the Chinese government announced the outbreak of what you and I now know as the coronavirus. Dr. Lee was an example of someone who is literally dying to tell the world so that people could be saved. And despite his brave efforts, over 7 million people have died from COVID. Sadly, uh, Lee's message was that COVID takes life. Good message, but that's 
all that he could offer. You and I have a far greater message, don't we? We have God's gospel message. Not that Jesus takes life, but Jesus gives life. Eternal life. Life to the full. The fact that Jesus hasn't yet returned means one thing. There are still more people Jesus wants in his kingdom. The finished task is Jesus dying to save the world. The unfinished task is us dying to tell the world that Jesus died to save them. Let us pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have helped us to see tonight that Jesus has died and has risen and is ruling the world from heaven at God's right hand through his word, through his spirit working through his word, through the apostles' testimony to Christ as king, the risen king. And people are coming into your kingdom as people believe that message. We pray that you would help each one of us to work out where we are in relation to your plans for the world. We know that you want the world to know that Jesus is king. Help us to do that, not just as an optional extra, but daily, weekly, monthly. May we bring great glory to you by glorifying your son, by proclaiming him as the world king and asking people to turn to him in repentance and faith. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.